0: Recorded the following episode on the road this morning Which is no surprise. I record most of my episodes on the road Just before I take off I press record and start talking Uh, I think I'm going to get interrupted here. Hopefully not I got interrupted when I'm at home I get interrupted. Uh, my job is to get interrupted. When I'm on the road, I usually don't. Right. Now, the following episode is a response, but not an answer, a response to the question, what are the things that unify people? What best unifies people? And in you know, true to form, I... In the following, I take a simple question, and I give, as, uh, give a response that is as messy as I can make it. Because that's the way I like it. Um, and I say at the end of the episode, if to a complex question, someone gives me a simple response, that makes me anxious. I don't actually get anxious. but uh, But... If someone gives me a messy, complicated, long answer, that makes me relax. So, mess makes me relax. Simple answers make me nervous. Nervous. Yeah. Uh, my wife's grandmother used to say, she's Greek, you know, nervous. You know, people are either soft, she used to say, or nervous. Nervous. I can't say it with her accent. Nervous. Yeah, how I said it the first time just before. Okay, um she said, My husband soft. Me nervous. <laughs> Alright, now um so the following episode um is about what unites people best. And it's in response to a question to that effect from my G D and that's what the episode's about. And in the end, um, I you know in the end I end up saying that different things unite people in at different times in different places uh, in different circumstances, you know. So in times gone by, religion has united people best. In the modern era, I think nation states Identify people best, you know. So in the Middle Ages, you were united by the fact that you were, a, you know, the people were Christians and that united them. Um, and I, I, I remember actually, I remember um, uh, was it the Portuguese? Ethiopia were under threat from Ethiopia is a Christian country essentially. Uh, first, you know, Armenia and Ethiopia, the first countries to become Christian. Countries, you know, as a national religion. Um, and Ethiopia was under threat from Islamic invaders at one stage, and I think that was about 500 years ago. And the Portuguese came to their aid, to the Ethiopians' aid, because what was uniting the Portuguese and the um, Ethiopians? Christianity. So religion unites people. And that's been a powerful uniting force in history. Powerful, you know, very often. And still is a powerful uniting force. Uh, so I do mention that in my in the coming episode. Um, and I've never perceived colour... Uh, now, I could be wrong because I haven't actually lived in the ancient world, but colour doesn't seem to be the major uniting force back then. Uh, But it's a big one now in the modern age. But we'll get to that. Um, In fact, that's pretty much all we've been talking about for the last few episodes because the last few episodes have been inspired by Naz and Captain W. E. Johns, you know, who are both colour obsessed, you know, Naz, Captain W. E. Johns. All right, the writer of Biggles books. Okay, so now, um, um, and uh, there, there was a rise in nationalism with the coming of the Enlightenment, you know, in Europe, and nationalism has since spread around the world, the idea of having a constitution that, you know, sets down the um, the terms and conditions of what's called a nation. You know, we didn't have nations like that in the old days. We had city-states, polis, 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 not police, polis, you know, the old Greek word polis means city-state, you know. Um, um, uh, but, uh, nation states in the modern era now seem to be the best uniting force. So you are not by, you know, the biggest uniting force I think in Australia right now is the idea of Australia, whatever that is, you know. Um, but there are, um, there are other things that unite people within Australia, um, you know, for example, indigenous people self-identify as indigenous, you know, and that's a powerful thing. Um, religious communities self-identify, and that's a powerful thing. Um, Europeans, you know, you know, rednecks, I self-identify as rednecks, and that's a powerful thing, um, and so on and so forth, you know. But the idea in the modern state is the the, is the 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 job of a prime minister? Let's say is to make sure at all times that whatever unites people within Australia, that that is never more powerful overall than the unifying power of Australia itself. The minute the um, sub identities, you know, because there's a there's a there's an overarching identity called Australia. You know, that's the one, you know, that the Prime Minister's job is to try and make that the strongest uniting force, so that if there's disagreement uh, amongst religious groups or colour groups or, you know, and all so on and so forth, that those uniting forces never overwhelm Australia itself. You know the over the umbrella uniting force so it's a almost like a a careful balance isn't it it's a um it's a um it's a, a tension you know okay so that's that all right and in times gone but you know and in and i mentioned in ancient rome because that's the one I, I like the best to, to talk about at least um the uniting force wasn't, it wasn't a nation-state, Rome. Rome wasn't a nation-state in the modern sense. It didn't have a written-down constitution per se. Um, but Rome was an idea, just like Australia. The nation-state is an idea, a European idea, uh, to be sure. You know, um, Rome was an idea, and it was in the heads of people. People just knew what Rome was without it being written down. You know, the constitution was in people's heads. The idea of Rome. And that was so powerful. Just the word Rome was a, unite, a unifying force between people. And I think that's been the strongest uni- uh, unifying force that I've ever come across in the world. Ever. In history. And I could be wrong. You know, Maybe China. The idea of China. Which started off... Anyway, I won't get into that. right? Because even that's a nation state now. In a nation state now, um, so you know that's what the coming episode is about. What is the most powerful uniting? Now in America and, and and the nation state, you know, which is a unifying force. What unites people best? Well, we try and unite people around an idea, uh, but we symbolize. We we have symbols that symbolize those ideas, you know, and it's usually a flag in the modern era. Um, you know, Rome didn't have what you would call a Roman flag, it had an eagle, you know, kind of Nazi looking eagle, um, but, Rome didn't have a a flag per se, the way we have a flag, you know, everyone has to have a flag these days, um, who invented the flag, invented the flag, you know, um, so, um, yeah, I lost track of what I was saying there, but, um, oh yes, um. The flag, you know, that'll do. All right, let's get on with the show because I've forgotten what I was talking about. (laughs) Ah, I remember what I was talking about. Yes, so in America, you know, because I'm talking about America a lot. I'm talking about America a lot in this podcast because uh, America and the guy, Naz in particular, is my touchstone, you know, Uh, just like Captain W.E. Johns in England is another touchstone. You know, my examples um, in America, the flag is supposed to be the strongest unifying force, you know. But someone like Naz and I'm not saying I'm against him, or you know, he's probably got some very good. In fact, he has got some very good reasons. The, the flag isn't serving him well, as far as he's concerned. He feels he still feels uh, marginalised by the flag. I think he's a rapper, Nas, so he he is making a call to arms via rap music in which he wants people who have ancestry from Africa in America to unite around a different flag, and that flag is called the idea of black. Okay? So I I don't think it's a a, a stretch to say that's what Naz is asking. Um, So he's an activist to say there is a stronger unifying force to be had in America and that unifying force is the is the force of black you know black power so theoretically if nay's got his way and you know if he does he does you know you just you 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 play the ball the way it comes to you you know so i'll just deal with whatever comes you know so he would um he would have black power overwhelm the idea of America, and that is the idea of the American flag. You know, whereas there are other um, African Americans who wouldn't have that. You know, now if I've read Naz wrong, I've only read him wrong because that's what he's saying in his rap songs, and I would just mean the rap songs that I've seen. You know, so if I'm reading his, if I'm reading him wrong, um, I'm only reading him wrong because I'm reading him right in terms of what he says in his rap songs. Okay. Um, But if he's he's got some nuance behind that that I haven't seen, great. I'll I'll, I'll look forward to hearing that. Uh, But someone like Little Richard, you know, who is um, someone I follow because I'm not into rap but I'm into rock and roll. So Little Richard, he very much sees himself as, um, identifies not by as black. In fact, I've, I've, I've followed him all my life, you know, Little Richard. He's still alive and I'm still alive too. All right. Um, he's nearly 90, I think. Um, what is he? Yeah, no, he's pushing 90. Uh, born, now I know I often give his birthday as my birthday when I'm doing aliases online. Um, when people say, what's your name? You know, and um, I say Richard, you know, when I'm ordering a pizza, I don't even eat pizza, but I order it sometimes for others. But if I have to, if I if I have to give a date of birth, I always say the fifth of the fifth of December, nineteen thirty two. You know, which puts me at about eighty seven, um, because I'm not giving my real name to the internet world, you know, and I'm not giving my real birthday to the internet world. Uh, so little Richard I follow now. He doesn't uh, he doesn't identify along black lines, and I just know that sometimes in his whole sort of 78 years on this earth, um, some, 78, 88, 88, sorry, 87, in his whole 87 years on this earth, um, you know, he has been asked the question, asked the question in interviews, um, what was it like growing up in, you know, the deep south, and he has said, you know, oh, well, we had, you know, and he... he, and sometimes he does, you know, but he does it not in an activist way, really. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. Naz is a good guy, too, if he wants to be an activist. But Little Richard said, yeah, it was, yeah, you know, it was like that. Um, he said, you know, there were taps, you know, and if there was taps that the black kids could drink out of and there were taps that the white kids could drink out of, you know. He grew up in a different time that even Naz wouldn't understand, I don't think. Um, very, you know, like... Uh, the world Little Richard grew up in the 1930s and the 1940s, coming out of the war after that, um, was on a different level um, to, uh, at a guess, you know. But, you know, who's who wants to compare? You know, that's malaria and leprosy again. Who wants to compare malaria and leprosy, you know? Um, <clears throat> but that's, that's the way it was. But Little Richard doesn't play the black sort of, um, the black line. Um, in Little Richard's time, that was more people like Malcolm X, I recall, you know. And Muhammad Ali tested the boundaries a little bit too, when he was called up to war to fight for the flag. And he said, actually, my, you know, and he was hovering there. What is my identity? Is my identity, is the flag serving me properly, said Muhammad Ali. And he said, do you know what, the, um... I don't know how he put it. He was a bit like Little Richard. He came after Little Richard, but he had that rhyming sort of jive, fast-talking thing that Little Richard's got too. And he said, you know, ain't no sort of yellow man ever did me no harm, you know, or something like that. And um, so why would I go and kill them, you know? So that was testing the boundaries of national identity. Um, But Little Richard was, you know, from a different time. He's kind of 10 years older than Muhammad Ali. And... um, and and he felt he he to this day I, I I know this his two identities are around the flag and around Jesus you know so that's that's him but Naz you know his identity is around black you know but still I think the best chance of unity in the world at the moment and that's what I come up with in the following episode is to try if I was a world leader and I wanted to grab. You know, and there were five different options that might unify people in whatever land I l- lived in i my my f- the first one I'd reach for because I really don't care which one as long as it works, you know what i mean um if 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 I thought that uniting along color lines would would work, then I would go for that you know if I thought it was going to cause the less least deaths you know what I mean and mayhem and chaos and riots you know, if I thought that would work. And South Africa tried that with apartheid, didn't it? And South Africa tried that with apartheid. I, sorry, I got interrupted by a phone call, and I probably will again. Um, and if religion, I thought religion might work, you know, I'd be a bit of a Constantine, an Emperor Constantine. If I thought religion would work, I'd flip to that and switch Australia back into a Christian nation or a Muslim nation or whatever would work and cause the less mayhem and death, you know. Um... But right now, all things in balance. Um, on a pragmatic level, I would say the best thing that is most likely to unify Australians is the Australian flag. But trying to bring the Indigenous Australia into that, and um, getting Australian Indigenous Australians into the constitution so that it reflects their culture. As well as the European culture, because that's the problem with our constitution at the moment. It demands that indigenous people assimilate into our European ways, which sounds good in theory, but our politics and laws are reflective of our culture and they are not reflective of indigenous culture, so they will never quite succeed because it's the wrong fit, you know, it's the wrong shoe size, you know, and when indigenous people fail under our politics and laws, you know, we're likely to say, oh, you're just failures, you know, but they're failures because it's uh, we've forced them onto the wrong, you know. We've forced Cinderella's older sister into Cinderella's into Cinderella's shoes. Right, you know what I mean by that. Okay, so I'll stop there. On with the episode. I was too hasty there. I was getting interrupted over and over and over again. Every time I tried to say a couple of words, my, my iPad would ring. <laughs> and my phone. Uh, FaceTime, you know. Um, b- but I think somewhere in there I said, you know, if, um, if... I think I started to talk about South Africa, did I? If uniting people along colour lines might bring unity, I might do that, I said. So what I was saying is, if I thought apartheid would bring stability, I might do that. Well, with my 21st century head on, uh, knowing what has happened in the world in the past, actually, I probably wouldn't, now that I know what I know. Uh, but had I been back in the in 1901, I reckon I might have been happy with an apartheid-type system, uh, which which is roughly what white Australia policy was, but not quite. Well, it was. It was. Look, white Australia policy was also a little bit... A lot about immigration policy. Um, ah, the yellow peril and all that sort of stuff. But, look, it's easy to be um, so smart in the 21st century and say, if I had been back in 1901, I would have opposed the white Australia policy. Yeah, Don't be so sure, is what I say to myself. Don't be so sure, you know. um, We're very anachronistic like that. We humans, uh, we're so sure we would be like we are in all different times and places. The world could change in the next ten years and I might get behind an ideology that is an anathema to me right now, and so might you. Actually, I can't speak for you, but I might, you know. You cannot tell how things are gonna go in the world. You had to be there, you know. Like um, they say, you know, Vietnam vets, you know, and they're absolutely right. You had to be there, okay. So, it's a type of humility, I think, you know. And I'm not so sure of myself, but, you know, people are so sure of themselves. But I'm not. Uh, but they are, which makes them that gives them the edge over me. <laughs> yeah, that's like Christians, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, um, versus scientists. Uh, we are sure that God made the world, and the scientists say we are not sure of anything. And the Christians say, "Aha!" Then our our certainty trumps your uncertainty, we win. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. Uh Aha, and of course, even in 2019, there are people calling for apartheid, and I'm thinking, Naz. It all comes together, sort of, you know. Um... If I've got Naz right, and all I've got to go on is the lyrics I have received from some of his rap songs so far, and he might be much more complex than that. All right. Uh, One little um, corrective. Uh, I said in a previous episode, oh, I just heard another song from Naz because my daughter and my goddaughter sent it to me. Was that song Old Town Road. And I said, oh, all right, okay. Naz is okay. I like this song. (laughs) And then my goddaughter has just texted me today and say, that isn't Naz. And I said, what do you mean? It says Naz. She says, no, it's Lil Naz. Lil Naz? Like Little Richard. (laughs) Okay, so there's a Lil Naz and a Naz, and they're different people. So, oh, my God, it's hard keeping up. All right, then. Back to it. A question has come in from our listener listener? Just kidding, we've got listeners. We've got two. Right, now, one of those two. Now, that's GM and GD, are my two listeners. I don't want any more. Go away, the rest of you. It's only about us three. Just kidding again. It's only about me. Right. No, it's about giggles. And it's about NAS. Uh, my GD texted me and said, oh, I'm going to have a listen to Giggles uh, yesterday, and um, she meant this uh, podcast, Uh, but it was a typo. She meant Biggles. Now, the question, the question to the panellist, I'm the panellist, sporty. uh, The question was, oh, um, I just glanced at my phone, but I'm driving now. I I glanced at it before, but I think it was, um, do people bond better against colour or culture? Something like that. Does colour or culture join people together? Now, when my GD asks a question, she's not wanting an answer, uh, because that's our system. Uh, You'd have to be us to know what I mean. But we're engaged in a dialectic, and that's a little bit foreign to the modern social media world when people ask questions, they want answers, you know, no, they don't ask questions, they just give answers, you know, so uh, my GD and I, when we ask each other questions, we're not looking for answers, we're looking for chat, so here comes the chat, now I could probably go away and, uh, see, I haven't put any thought into this yet, this question, but I just sense it's a good question, now, I could go away draft something, you know, like the way I draft something for work, I could go away now, draft something for a day, and, um, and research, uh, because this is all about identity, this question my GD is asking, and she knows, it. you know, she, um, identity is, actually, it's something she knows more about than I do, really, uh, because that's one of her pet hobbies, we've all got pet hobbies, and my pet hobby is penguins, and Captain Cook rock and roll um, and things like that you know I've got some other hobbies too Uh, but my pet subjects are things like that you know Uh, especially Captain Cook I like Captain Cook and uh, but my GD one of her pet subjects is identity so she's asking me this question and I dare say that she's just interested in me having a chat Um, so normally I would send streams of text messages back to her. So what I'm going to do now is just speak the text messages and and I'm gonna send her a link to this. Okay, Um, now, um, uh, so uh, we're up to episode eight in this series, which I am now calling Naz and Biggles for reasons that will be clear if you had listened to the previous seven episodes. The previous seven episodes, episodes, uh, the previous seven episodes, (laughs) the previous, see I've tricked myself now. Um, The previous episodes um, were, you know, I started making them about my friend AB, who is all into colour, um, and also Captain W.E. Johns, who's also all into colour, but on opposite sides of the black spectrum okay and this black white spectrum goes black, black 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 white 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 you know there's no brown um, There might be red um and there might be yellow okay but red and yellow aside everything else is black 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 white you know so it goes like that anyway so my little touchstones were someone who's into the black 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 and that is uh that was a b you know who brings everything back to black back to black amy winehouse back in black A C D C. right and um the other one is um captain w.e johns who brings everything back to white and black and red and yellow because, you know, he's kind of a racist, you know. But are you gonna tell him that? I mean, that bloke was a, uh, a fighter pilot in World War I. Have you ever flown a Sopwith Camel, son? You know, have you ever flown a Sopwith Camel through hails of flak and bullets? Did they have flak in World War I, or was that a World War II thing? Now, I really can't remember whether Captain, whether, now, Captain W.E. Johns was a fighter pilot in World War I, um, and then he, uh, uh, I'm almost certain of it. And then he switched to being an author to um, give us a kind of children's story version of his, uh, his world as a fighter pilot. And all credit to uh, these fighter pilots. And, um, you know, you know, it's like Vietnam. You weren't there. You know, if you weren't in Vietnam, you weren't there. I was mad. Now, uh, Captain W.E. Johns, uh, probably a war hero. I've never actually checked all his credentials and how many military crosses and things he's got. And um, Peter McCallum, I I was looking up him the other day from Australia. He was an extraordinary man. He had a military cross. Nothing to do with this episode whatsoever. Uh, But I just happened to be um, finding out about him. Someone was telling me about now there is a man Peter McCallum oh, some people uh, give nothing to the world like me but Peter people like Peter McCallum you know they they don't you know for war hero military cross um, started you know started a huge industry fighting cancer in Australia um, must have been a doctor I presume um, and was chairman of all sorts of things. You know, he's from European Australia. Um, so he's a bad guy on that level. Um, you know, AB, I don't know what someone like AB or Nas would make of someone like Peter McCallum, uh, but he is part of the worldwide fight, you know, for uh, you know prevention of cancer, you know, like um, finding a cure. Um, 1924 he uh, put out a, you know, like he started his um, his mission, his mission to cure cancer, you know, and he collected, got funding going, very influential, collected funding, all that sort of thing, and started, you know, an anti-cancer sort of project. And, um, and, Peter McCallum, and 1924, you know, he made a mission statement. Um, saying we are, you know, a noble cause. And look at us, we're in 2019. And not to take away from his aims, but I reckon even he would have been amazed that here, uh, very close to 100 years later, 95 years later, we're still red hot going for that. You know? We're still pushing just as hard as he was back in 1924, 19, here we are in 2019 and you know there's a huge hospital which I'm about to drive and this is absolutely a coincidence I'm about to drive past it uh, called the Peter McCallum hospital you know. um, what a great man yeah and we've got other you know not just talking Australians because I'm, I'm parochial and yeah I was supposed to be talking about something else wasn't I but get used to it that's me all right um, you know, I know going to talk about identity for my G- GD wasn't I but if, if, if I didn't wander off and talk about 15 other things, well, I'd be another podcast. And you're here with this podcast. If you want that stuff, go to another podcast. All right. So, yeah, just a coincidence, I'm going past it now. It's a very edgy-looking building. Edgy-looking. I'm just going past the Royal Children's Hospital, in Melbourne. Well, I'm in Melbourne, you know, so if you want to come for a drive with me, uh, and um, going, and Hospital and then past Peter McCallum Hospital and all that stuff. Right, so Peter MacCallum, great man. We had another great man uh, in the medical field. We've had lots of great people in Australia. That's part of Australian culture and I'm talking European culture. Ah, the word culture. That was in GD's question. What binds us more, culture or colour? Alright, I'm sort of um, accidentally mentioning a few things about Australian culture here and part of Australian culture is our you know, innovation, technology, science, and all that sort of thing. We've got, you know, Australians are, you know, heavily into the science community, the technology community in the world. You know, I think we invented Wi-Fi, someone down at Monash University. And, um, and uh, there was an article in the paper not long ago, now I'm talking about culture here accidentally, and it will start to answer GD's question. There was an article in the paper that, um, now, you know Wikipedia, and, um, there are references in Wikipedia, okay? So, references in Wikipedia. Now, apparently... The Wikipedia page, now this might seem nothing, but just, I suppose, just think that Wikipedia is a huge deal worldwide. It's a go to resource. My children aren't allowed to go to it at school because it's unsought, you know, it's, un, um, it's not peer reviewed, you know, in the scientific sense. Um, so you can't trust it. But it's a major go to resource anyway because it doesn't matter if you can't trust something if you know you can't trust it. You know, and I think the logic goes: that children can't make that um, discern, can't discern, you know, can't haven't got that uh, the powers to do that yet. You know, at school, um, so um, we grown-ups we can use Wikipedia, and because we know, you know, we find a Wikipedia page's legitimacy, uh, we make judgments based on number one, the actual content. Um, a Wikipedia page can uh, give itself legitimacy just by the way it's worded you know. um, there's there's one Wikipedia page I loved um, which was on a liberal arts education you know, and I read that and I said you know what I don't even have to check who wrote this or which people wrote this or what people wrote this um, just the words themselves and the way they, the way the page is expressed the grammar if you like You know, the grammar. Grammar is the first item in a liberal arts education. I think it's followed by rhetoric and then by logic. All that goes out the window when you're on social media. Uh, I often talk about social media because it's fascinating, you know. Fascinating. Right. Um, But, um... Wikipedia, um... You quote your sources at the bottom. And... Of all the Wikipedia pages in the world, the most sourced or acknowledged Wikipedia page, apparently, and I don't know if this is just amongst the scientific community or all all over, probably all over, I think it was all over, you know, all Wikipedia entries, um, was a a resource that was created by a couple of guys at Melbourne Uni, which I'm also driving past. How about that? I really am, you know, it's right there. Uh, Well, you know, let's see, a couple of campuses of it. Okay, Um, how about that? Now, um, is that a big thing? Does that make those two guys who probably wear plaid, plaid, plaid jackets with those little patches on the elbows? Probably, probably not, if you're listening blokes, if you're listening guys, uh, block, how you going, (laughs) um, if it, oh, there's another takeoff, watch yourself, sporty, um, if, if, um, if you're listening, sorry about that, you know, you might have the plaid jackets without the patches on the arms, right, now those two guys, are they influential in the world, well, yes, in a very quiet way, um, more Wikipedia pages have sourced, acknowledge those guys, you know, for their own Wikipedia pages, uh, than um, anyone has sourced anyone else, all right? So they're influential, so they might be sort of up in Beyonce, Beyonce, Beyonce territory, you know, for influential, Uh, maybe not, you know? But there are people, you know, even Australians or whatever, who are far more influential, I know some of these names because my GD says them. Um, you know, there are people who are obvious, um, obviously influential, but then there are quietly influential people who sometimes are more influential. Like for example, and I'm going past Melbourne Uni, so there's a building just to my left as I cross over Royal Royal Parade. You know, you can just drive around Melbourne and Melbourne and Australia's culture is just written all over it, you know, just a little bit of my, um, I imagine driving around London, um, culture written everywhere, you know. And I'm only in a small portion of the city here and here I am just driving along, talking about Australian culture, just based on the buildings I'm going past. Right, I can see the Howard Florey Institute right now, to my left, because I'm crossing over um, Elizabeth Street. Okay, Um, and Howard Florey, he was the one that made penicillin possible, you know. there were great people that came before him uh, in the development of penicillin. Um, you know, it was a team effort. But he was critical at a certain junction, uh, juncture in making it such that it could actually be used... Um, you know, that could go to the millions of people. Now, is there anyone on the planet who hasn't benefited from penicillin and such like and keeping in mind that antibiotics and all that sort of stuff are given to animals as well uh, I dare say of the 7 million people in the world around about 7 billion people minus about 7 um, have benefited from it, so he has been an influencer for everyone on the planet ok, Wi-Fi, same thing the guys, you know, Monash Uni, I am not driving past Monash Uni, that's a whole half an hour away, you know, I haven't got time for that. Um, so, um, the, 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 whoever it was at Monash that invented Wi-Fi, um, are they more influential than, say Beyonce, Beyonce, you know? Because Beyonce is not influential to me, I've never listened to any of her songs, so, so she's irrelevant to me, and she's irrelevant to probably what? She must be irrelevant to at least two billion people on Earth. You know, nobody I know listens to Beyoncé, uh, except I'm. You know, well, I've never actually heard anyone say that they like her. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure of that. I don't think even G D has mentioned that. Um, okay, and now she's married to Jay Z. Jay Z, I've heard of him, and. He might be influential, but I actually don't know any of his songs, and I don't even know what he looks like. I really don't. You know, I know what Banso looks like. Okay. So influential, you know. Um, you know, and you, you do hear people, you know, Banzer. She just breaks my heart. She's so influential, you know. And I say, oh yeah, I know how you feel, you know. Howard Florey, he breaks my heart. Who? <laughs> Australian culture. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so there's culture now. Here comes, accidentally, as always, I don't plan these things, Uh, my first uh, sort of response to GD's question, does culture join people more than colour or vice versa? Uh, Alright, well, as I was um, speaking about all those blokes, are they all blokes? Um, Madame Curie, you know, she did radiation, um... Did she have a hand in antibiotics as well? I'm, I can't remember. Uh, she was amazing, that Madame Curie. Um, I really, you know, had two Nobel uh, Um Okay. So, as I was talking about all those guys from Melbourne, um, and I'd better close my eyes as I drive now because I'll probably pass another building that reminds me of something else about Australian culture. You know. Um... But um, I was thinking, okay, I don't know whether I was proud or not, and I'm pretty sure I'm not proud because I didn't make any of those discoveries, so I can't be proud of what other people do. But you know, I thought, what was I thinking? Yeah, you know, I see. This is our culture, you know, so that joined me to those guys a little bit, you know. Um, yeah, and I could have gone on and on and on, you know, uh, about other inventions. Um, other other development, you know, because Australia has only been going, Australia is young and free. (laughs) Australia has only been going for 120 years, and it really has, you know. People always mix this bit up. When you say Australia is young and free and Australia has only been around for 119 years, when you say that, you you have to be a little bit sophisticated in your thinking, but it clearly means the nation state of Australia. And then people jump in and they say, Australia is 65,000 years ago, how dare you say it's Australia, that it's only 120 years ago. I say, no, you're boring me, you know, because, you know, um, when I said Australia is 120 years old, obviously I wasn't meaning Indigenous Australia, you know. When I'm talking about Indigenous Australia, I say Australia is 65,000 years old. So sometimes I say Australia is 120 years old, and sometimes I say it's 65,000, is that? not hard, is it? Does it have to be an argument? You know? And um, uh, sometimes I'll say 60, uh, uh, Australia is 3.4 point, you know, 4.x billion years old, and then I'm obviously referring to geological Australia, you know. Sometimes I'll say Australia was Sahul, Sahul, you know. And, you know, obviously then I'm talking about, you know, Australia was part of New Guinea. That sort of thing. So, and then I might say Australia is part of Gondwana land, you know, it was just a, a small portion of land amongst a bigger land mass called Gondwana land, you know. So when I say Australia is young and free, um, that's not something to get over excited about, is it? Because I'm talking about the nation state Australia, you know, because um, how old's, um, how old's Italy? I think that's only not much... Is that older or younger? I think that's slightly older than Australia. Italy is really young. Um, but, you know, Italians got an ancient culture. I don't think it's a hard concept. I I may be missing something. Actually, the thing I am missing is... Well, I'm not missing it. I know what I'm missing. Therefore, I'm not missing it. Okay? Ah, but the, um... But the thing I'm... The thing about that argument, you know, because on just, uh, on pure logic in my mind, to say that Australia is 120 year old, 120 years old in one breath, and then 65,000 years old in another breath, and then, you know, um, 650,000 trillion billion years old in another breath, for me to say that is not illogical for me. You know, because I know they're three different Australias, okay? I have no problem with that. Um, Because uh, humans have got brains that are slightly bigger than chimpanzees and understand context, you know? A banana can be a banana, but it can also be a kick. Do you follow footy? (laughs) You know what I mean, though. Um, So, um, uh, but... There is, a, there is something to, and uh, I'll get back to GD another time, but this all comes to culture, and it comes to, does culture join us, or does colour join us, or does nationalism join us? You know, there's a lot of things that can join us. Um, so I'll just move on. And now there's a lot of other things besides those three things, you know, uh, colour, colour, um, she could call race. I think she means race. Race can join you. Um, What's the other Culture can join you, and nationalism can join you. And, you know, there was a big rise of nationalism in after the French Revolution, wasn't there? Some somewhere along the line there, huge rise. You know, about the time of Bismarck and all that sort of stuff. Nationalism was on the rise. The Germans, you know. We are Germany You know, and Germany was formed not long ago Germany's a young country And yet it was back in the Roman times Germanics, you know um, So um, But Germany's a young country And, you know, the rise of nationalism And, you know, Bismarck and all that And all the different Germanic states Came together and formed a nation state And went to war Okay Um, So, that's the way it goes so nationalism another one. Obviously religion. Religion's another one. Religion joins us. You know. So, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a notional Catholic. I'm a notional Christian. You know. um, I believe in you know I go to mass and whilst I'm in church, I very much you know I say I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. You know, one Catholic Church. You know, the only one. Go away, all the rest are not true. You know, I say I say the apostle, I say the Creed. I actually speak the creed, and guess what I'm not telling a lie um when I'm speaking the creed because I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church in a context you know I believe in what it's achieving um, whilst I'm in church and I' walk out of church and I don't believe it you know and I suddenly you know sometimes i sometimes before I even get out of church, you know i've um My mind is wandering and I'm an atheist again, you know, Uh, because in, you know, I put different hats on, you know, I'm not a chimpanzee. Do I have to be a chimpanzee? Seriously, do I have to, you know? Why are you trying to force me to make a call, you know, if you don't believe in anything, you will fall for everything. Uh, No, actually, if you think that through, it's the opposite. Nobody can get me, you know. No, I can't, no one can make me fall for anything. Yeah, that's one of those, and I mentioned that another time. That's one of those um, sayings that's got so many holes and it shouldn't even be said, you know. Um, yeah, if you refuse, yeah. Anyway, I won't even go there because that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, okay, so religion. Now I'm sneakily, answer- you know, I'm not answering, making a response to GD's question there. Now, Christians, in mass, and it really is the case, you know, you say, well, you know, it really is the case that Christians, um, once you're in mass, um, it, colour, all that sort of stuff, doesn't matter, you know, race, race melts away when you go to mass, Um, you know, maybe in the heads of some other black guy there, you know, but by and large, you know, especially amongst Christians, not the ones who were just there because they were forced to go there because of someone's baptism. Oh my goodness, we have that. Um, I take up the money, actually, with my father-in-law. We've all got a job in church, Uh, and the rest of my, you know, my daughters sing, and my my wife sings in church. So we're all, you know, we're upstanding members of a Catholic community. Alright, now, um, my son just sits there and uh and um what was i talking about oh yes uh so color melts away in church now i'm not talking about we in when we have a baptism the the church gets full you know and, and um the people um baptizing their child you other religions I might say christening yeah, you other christian religions uh when they're baptized um yeah, the, the model churchgoers, the parents of the, the cute little baby. are huh? They're model churchgoers, they're, um, they're in their best suit. <laughs> and um, off they come to church. And um, and yeah, they really look like they belong there, but we know we're not gonna, we're not gonna see them again until the next baby. <laughs> That's all right. You know, at least they splashed some cash on the day. Yeah, we try and, we, we, take the, we take the little tray around, that's what it's all about. We take the little tray around, try and get as much money as we can from all their cousins. <laughs> and their brothers and sisters and the grandmothers. Yeah. All right, now I started to actually respond to GD's um, question as posited, her rhetorical question. No, not quite rhetorical, is it? Uh, no, it's not rhetorical at all. Uh, but gd's dialectic starter now i'll I'll, I'll pause it there and that can be an episode right there um now i'm going past the uh beautiful gardens um uh yeah exhibition gardens and uh victor um the um the hospital i was born in (laughs) st vincent's (laughs) i forgot the name of it for a second (laughs) ah well yeah, my father was born there too, and my daughter as well. You know, we've got tradition, we've got culture, we've got history. You know, so that's three generations so far. Um, so we just have to keep that going. Um, and suddenly, you know, we've got yeah, generations and generations of children all born in the same hospital, and that's how that's, um, uh, now um, what joins us. Tradition joins us. There's another one. Okay, so I've started to... Now, the next episode, I'll continue on this vein uh, because it actually I think it actually relates to the broader podcast topic of um, the one called Naz and Biggles, you know, because what joins us. Well, for for Naz, it's about your skin colour. And for Giggles, <laughs> Biggles, um, it's about your skin colour. You know, that's what joins us mostly. Um, and uh, just a little bit more um, more specific um, for Biggles, it's about whether you're British or not. You can be horrible, but he'll come to South America to rescue you if you're British, you, even if you're a horrible person, you know. Um, um, and if you're a nice guy, he'll shoot you uh, on his way. You know, if you're a nice guy who's the wrong color, he'll shoot you to get the guy he's trying to rescue from South America in the, in the jungles of South America, you know, so if you're a native South American, indigenous South American, and you're in his way because there's a British guy to be rescued, he'll shoot you, even if that British guy is an absolute pig, you know, because he's British, okay, now British, is that a nationality? Well, to a certain extent, British, British is a culture as well, but it's a very strong identity culture. You know, it's a, 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 a strong identity word, being British. You know, being Ethiopian. You know, that's an identity word. That's Ethiopia is a young country too. Is Ethiopia as old as Australia, as a nation state? It'd be a close run thing. Um, when was Australia? When was Ethiopia declared a nation state? Because before that, it was just um, tribes um, that were not necessarily the same identity. Uh, you know. Um, so I don't know when Ethiopia, look, I've, I've studied it a bit, but I didn't check when it's sort of got its constitution together. But Ethiopia is, as a nation state, is a, I reckon that one's a fragile um, identity word. Ethiopia, the nation-state. I don't think Ethiopia, the nation-state, is old enough to bind the various parts of Ethiopia. I still think, um, I think that uh, identity words, you know, the tribes, Tigray, Amhara, Oromo, and all that, I think they're slightly stronger. Um, Words like Habesha are stronger, you know, and Ethiopia is a kind of modern, artificial concept That seeks to bind Ethiopians as they as we now call them. I don't even think they were called Ethiopians by and large. I'd love to see literature, you know, like do a word check. How often did Ethiopians refer themselves to themselves as Ethiopians before nineteen hundred? I would say very rarely. You know, and we're not on Facebook here, so you know the idea is not to go back to the seventh century and find one person referring to the people of that area as Ethiopians to find one reference to that and say, see we've been Ethiopia all along. Oh man, that does my head in when people use that logic, you know. That was my worst attempt at an American accent. Uh, but you know what I mean. That's what people that's a, that's why I keep away from social media because the logic there is skew if all right now um, so you know the nation state of Ethiopia seeks to bind people, uh, but I think uh, tribal culture might be stronger. You know, GD, who is Ethiopian, via her children, I do not mind saying that. And if there's any Ethiopians out there that want to deny that she is Ethiopian, um, you should be ashamed of yourself, you know, because I'm married to Greeks and I'm Greek through my children. I'm not Greek, you know, like um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a, what's called a philhellene you know, a friend of... Greek culture, uh, that's what I'm known as, to myself, and you you can self-declare these things, but um, when I say I'm Greek and I'm proud, um, all the Greeks I know, they love it, they love it, you know, they they feel proud that I feel proud about that, you know what I mean, Um, because you know, culturally, through my children, once you have children your children are you and you are your children there's another identity group family you know uh, but my children are greek and i have to say i tell them more about greek myths and greek history and all that sort of stuff than any uh, any greek uh you know i'm a champion for all that sort of stuff and i'm greek now my gd is ethiopian in the same way and um and you know any ethiopian who doesn't comp- and, and look, and I'm not saying they do um, say that she isn't Ethiopian, but you know, um, because she is actually very in, involved and um, in the middle of the community, so she's probably a bad example. But there are other people, you know, there are people who don't allow other people into their community, you know. Probably GD and me, probably we're bad examples because we have been both extremely welcomed into the communities, you know, um, but, you know, if I, well, now this is an interesting one, isn't it? If I was, um, if I married an African-American girl, well, I'm 56 now, so she'd probably be a woman. (laughs) Um, if I married, um, yeah, my, my days of marrying 17-year-olds are gone. (laughs) Okay, uh, that was done. Um, now, um, so, if I married an African American, and I identified strongly with African American culture, is that acceptable? You know, even though I'm as white as white as a pasty-faced, freckled thing, you know, with ruddy red hair, which I haven't got, um, it's gone grey, actually, so there you go, doesn't matter what it was, okay, uh, it's gone actually white. Whitish grey ok so um is that cultural appropriation you know the board is that allowed you know in the same way that I'm allowed to be Greek am I allowed to be African American if I marry an African American well, I'm not actually sure probably probably I don't know um ok so that's that so these are the things that join us you know um Oh, you know, I said I've just landed at another hospital. And I work at a hospital at the moment too, Box Hill Hospital, but I've just landed in the Epworth. I'm picking someone up. So that's the end of this episode, and I have started to respond to GD's, GD's dialectic starter. Thank you very much. I've ended up driving a little bit more, ended up in Glen Waverley actually, uh, so I'll just keep talking for a little bit more, um, for the hell of it, uh, there's... now, uh, what were we talking about, yes, uh, identity, uh, what joins people more, colour or culture, yeah. or nationality, or religion, or sport, alright, there's another one, uh, because when I'm at the footy, um, yeah, footy's just like church for me, and probably even more so uh, because I'm very into the footy, you know. Um, that's no surprise if you've ever listened to any of my podcasts. Uh, but um, when I'm at the footy, um, that is a kind of tribal church for me, it really is. Uh, it is the one area where I sort of deliberately and consciously let myself go tribal. Okay. Now, um, the footy, uh, yeah, so, we had, I don't even like saying it, but a, a supplements saga at Essendon, uh, where our players were all taking supplements, you know, and, um, it was a huge furore, um, just Google Essendon supplements scandal, you know, um, now, this is, this is one area where I go illogical on purpose. Look, there probably are others. Um, and what, what happened there was, you know, James Heard, who, you know, um, who, in a tribal way, he's my guy, you know. Um, uh, oh, I'm England Glen I'm passing the police academy. This is a little bit of a tour of Melbourne too and melbourne culture uh there's a huge rainbow above the police academy at the moment and um i'm just coming up the hill towards it it's a very impressive building policing you know that is uh a police force you know that's was the first police force british uh you know true police force true professional police force and when i say british that means us too you know um That might be part of our culture too—the idea of a police force. Now, you know, as I said, I could drive around Melbourne and just talk about Melbourne culture and Australian culture just by everything you know as I as I pass things. Um, But um, the idea of a police force, a professional police um, force—I think—is a was it was his name Peel or something? There was someone. Robert Peel, you know, this is really deep in my sort of head somewhere, whoever started the, uh, the first British police force. Now, there have been personal guards and all that sort of stuff through history, so in ancient Rome you had the, um, oh my goodness, I'll, I'll be amazed if I forget what it's called, but you know, the Emperor's Guard, the, um, oh, do you know what, I've forgotten, I'm not into Roman history, it doesn't matter, you can forget stuff you know, um, anyway, let's, let's push that aside, I could talk about policing, um, oh, there's advertisements coming on, you know, a, a, when, when people become police, it's, brood, you know, like, it's, um, a recipe for, um, having your mind altered, alright, I'll just say that without going into detail, you know what I mean, I It's a recipe for having your mind irretrievably altered if you've got any sort of sensitivity about you at all, you know. If you're a brick, maybe not, you know, you might be... You know, I I don't think I'd go near the police force myself uh, because I'm cheerful in life but um, the reason for that is I have avoided anything that tests me, you know. I've avoided great stress in my life so I never joined the army uh, I actually did you know when I was 16 I went for the Air Force Academy um, uh, long story you know and uh, got on what's called the reserve list which I still don't know exactly what that means um, and uh, yeah, because uh, oh, my, my dad wanted me to fly and all that sort of stuff you know and I thought oh yeah that's a good idea because he was he, he was a he, he was a flight engineer um, for airline we used to have called TAA, the friendly way and um, and he, oh, he was he was good, he gave me flying lessons and everything, I flew solo which was actually, I really loved that, but more as a novelty you know, it was never going to be my thing again, yet again I was a big disappointment, you know, because I didn't I didn't really get it, I, I, yeah, I like to try things for a novelty, but I don't I didn't want to keep going with it you know um but anyway that's the way it goes but you know when i was 16 because you can get a pilot's license when you're 16 it's amazing um i was well i was driving on the road we lived in the country a little bit you know uh landsville you know that sort of country uh, less so as population sprawls. um it seems for less, uh, you know. There are places that were used to be country towns when I was a kid, very much country towns, and you'd be out of contact with people in Melbourne for a month at a time. And now they seem to be part of the suburbs, you know. And they're like, what, 50 kilometers away or something? You know, that's amazing. All right, um, but um, what's I talking about? Oh, the police. Yeah. Uh, The the police force will alter your mind, even whether you're on traffic duty or whatever, you have to see things that you don't want to see. And if you've got anything nice about you, um, sensitive or anything like that, it'll, um, any, uh, any humanity. I don't, people use the word humanity, I don't know what that means. I think it means everything from Hitler, you know, to Mother Teresa. I don't know if she was that nice anyway. All right. Uh, yes she was, she was wonderful. Yeah. I don't know uh, all right, um yeah she was all right, um, so um humanity uh, police force jeez I am wondering here um, oh there's advertisements on, um, on the TV at the moment advertising for more police um, you know because half the other police have been um, you know are, are smashed. Know, by their experiences in the police force, you know, a thankless. I, I think overall, it's a thankless um, role, uh, the role of a police person. Um, you know, um, yeah. And there are a lot of people in commu- in the community that are not behind them, and and that makes it even worse and makes them bitter and twisted. Um, because not only are they having to put up with stuff that the likes of which I can't even imagine um, you know in my little comfortable life um, and oh, can you hear that rain um, it's pouring here uh, and uh, you get these advertisements and they're saying, Come and join the police force you know it's really great you know it's really smiley it's like going it's it's join a good team you learn skills and um it really is fun really you know and uh, i don't think that's right to advertise like that because they're usually going for young people um who haven't you know uh, much like the call went out to you know australian boys as it was then to go to World War I, come for an adventure, see new lands, you know, um, fight for the Empire, it'll be a real, you know, it'll be a real, um, adventure, it'll walk in the park, it'll be like Biggles, you know, um, well, it'll be like, you know, you too can be in a Biggles book, and look at Biggles, you know, Biggles stayed, you know, he never died, there was always new Biggles books. You know, Biggles and Bertie and Algae and Ginger never die. You can't die uh, when you're Biggles, because there's always another Biggles book after that one. All right. Um, So, Um, and and the police force, yeah, they should say, listen, we'll, you know, you'll be paid a fairly moderate amount, um, but you will need counselling pretty quickly, you know. You'll probably, on average, you know, you'll go 10 years And then if you don't need counselling after that, um, and you'll never, ever interact with people the same way again, um, if you don't need counselling after 10 years, um, then you're either a a Buddhist or a brick, you know, something like that. All right, now, Buddhist or a brick? Gee, that sounds catchy. I could make that a title for a podcast. Um, Okay, no, identity. So I just had a chat then. Um, if the rain is too loud, um, I'm, I'm sure it's not. You know, I'll probably replay this to myself, and I won't even hear the rain. But it's really pouring out there. Right now, what's next? Um, identity. Now, what binds people? What joins people? What unifies people? Now, this is you know, my GD has asked the question that has probably been one of the biggest questions in history. Um, what is going to unify the people? You know, and great leaders throughout history and great governments you know, and I always think of ancient Rome, their major preoccupation um, was usually if you if you're a leader of a country, the first thing I think that you don't want, is for chaos, you know. So you want order, and the, the way to order is some sort of unity. Um, people not fighting each other, you know. People not hating each other. So, on one level, and you know, and people, I, I mentioned Andrew Bolt way, way, way back in these episodes, who always calls for unity um, as in opposition to this idea of disunity and tribal difference in Australia, for example. So, and he's got a point, you know, if I was a leader, if I was a Prime Minister of Australia, if I did anything that was going to promote disunity, on one level, I'm being a bad person. Now, this is why I shouldn't be a Prime Minister. Um, ideologically, I want, and this is me personally, and this is a real me, by the way, just for a minute, ideologically, I, I feel that I would like indigenous culture and indigenous Australia to be independent of European Australia. Two Australias on one continent. Right. Now, ideologically, I think that's the right way to go because indigenous people, our European constitution, politics, laws, and all that sort of thing will never be a good fit. Yeah, It's the dream to make it a good fit. I will get to that in another episode, that um, I think there are people now, we're moving in this direction, that are going to try and make uh, a new Australia You know, that is different than the old European Australia, the one that I grew up with, and that is different from Indigenous Australia, the one we've had for sixty-five thousand years, but that tries to be something about the best of both. You know what I mean? Now, this is what we're getting at. So that you know, that might be the few You know, the ideal future Australia. And I think, all in all, on practical levels, I'm a proponent for that. You know, a new Australia in which Indigenous Australia is brought into the Constitution. It would be ideal if there were two constitutions, really. And there are two constitutions. It's just that the indigenous constitution is not written down, you know. But somehow to blend or merge the two constitutions into one, you know. But as idealistically sound as that might be in a sort of fair way, in practice, often that stuff doesn't work. Because all you end up with is tribal difference, you know. And this is what Andrew Bolt argues stridently against this idea of having difference. He's saying, listen, everybody, one Australia, one set of laws, and our unity is achieved through the nation-state a nation-state Australia. If you don't if you think the nation-state is Australia isn't um, doing what you want it to do, you know, even if you're Indigenous Australia, get into Parliament and alter it, you know, but don't throw it away, you know, make it better, don't kill it off and try something new, um, evolve what we've got, you know, that's Andrew Bolt's argument, and it's pretty sound, you know, and that's kind of, you know, it's, it's this conservative progressiveness that, uh, Robert Menzies, our erstwhile, um, Prime Minister uh, and leader of our Liberal Party, and we've discussed this before in Australia. Liberal does not mean what liberal means in America. If you've been watching too many American podcasts, uh, YouTube clips, you know, of conservatives in America smashing liberalism, you know, you're only going to confuse yourself. Um, in Australia, the Liberal Party is the closest you know He's, he's, he's closer to conservatism okay it's the Labour Party that's more to the left the Liberal Party is to the right in Australia, Liberal right wing, got it <laughs> Labour, left wing Liberal, right yeah, in America, Liberal left, okay very confusing uh, but not to me because I'm just Australian, I, I, don't, I don't watch YouTube clips out of America so I don't get confused Right. So, the preoccupation of leaders tends to be unity first. Right. And that goes to GD's question. What joins us more? You know, what joins us? Well, if GD is worried about that as a citizen of Australia, do you think the Prime Minister isn't worried about that 5,000 times more? So, leaders throughout history um, tend to be preoccupied by that question. So let's take Constantine, the Roman Emperor, you know, because I'm into Rome. Um, Oh, the guard, the, um, it's coming to me, the Republican guard, the, um, it's something guard, patrician guard, oh my god, I can't remember what it is, the kind of, you know, personal police force of the Roman Emperor back then. It'll come to me as long as I don't think about it. Right. So, the, the Emperor Constantine, I'm not sure whether he was ideologically a Christian. He probably ended up that way. But I think he's major... Rome was a, what we call these days, a pagan state, you know. But what I call a more had a more sophisticated religion... Yeah, which is basically the Greek religion um, well it wasn't even a religion you know it's a it's a, a set of legends and myths that seek to explain the human condition you know um, you know you know how people say Buddhism isn't a religion you know which I agree with it isn't a religion it's kind of a philosophy more than that yeah you know? and the ancient Greek and Roman sort of uh, gods and mythologies and all that sort of stuff look they 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 did have religious kind of ceremonies and traditions and all that sort of stuff, but they they weren't a religion in the same way that Christianity is a religion. Um, they were more a set of legends, myths, and beliefs, um, which sought to explain the human condition and then bind people, you know, with traditions that surrounded that. You know, something like that, you know. But it's very sophisticated. The ancient Eastern um, sort of belief systems, uh, so so the Greek, Greco Roman, the Greek belief systems were much more sophisticated than the Christian one. Uh, The Christian one is quite simple, you know, everything coming out of the Semitic lands, which is Abraham, there's this kind of simple one God thing. Now, obviously, they make sophisticated things out of that one God, you know, sublime. You know, the Bible is sublime. You know, the what is the Jewish scriptures? You know, that's sublime. Um, Islam is sublime. But they're all that, Semit- that Semitic thinking. One God, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Uh, keep it simple. And then be sublime, sublime within that simplicity. You know what I mean? But um, these other belief systems, such as the ones in coming out of India, and to that I will add the indigenous ones here in Australia, and... Um, the Greco-Roman ones and the Egyptian ones, you know, the polytheism, the Indian philosophy, the Greek, uh, the um, indigenous Australian connection to land, um, all these things, these are kind of belief systems that bound people, you know, and that goes to GD's question as well, what binds people, you know, and what joins people, Um, and those things were very, you know, like, so, the Homeric in the Greek world, um, people, you know, who were the Greeks in the ancient times? Well, my, my way of understanding who the Greeks were, because the word Greek is not a Greek word, that's a Roman word, that's what the Romans called the Greeks, you know. The Greeks themselves called them, call themselves the Hellenes. You know, my daughter is uh, named after that. And, um, and um, so, the Hellenes, who were the Hellenes? You know, and there are cultures out there around modern Greece that deny um, the, the Greeks um, were everything they cracked themselves up to be back in the ancient times uh, on something like a spurious argument that, that you know, there was no nation-state of Greece declared back then. You know? But the Hellenic world was more sophisticated than that. Of course there was no nation-state of Greece back then. There was no nation-state of anything you know, um, the world didn't operate like that, you know, and that's a bit, you know, that's sophistry, you know, to say that, um, yeah, uh, don't worry, it's, 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 I don't like it, um, but the Hellenic world, I see, is more a cultural thing, not a modern nation state thing, you know, um, yeah, modern Macedonians, say Alexander the Greek wasn't, you know, they're claiming modern Macedonians, including Slavic, uh, Macedonians, um, uh, are claiming Alexander the Great to be theirs, you know, because he happened to be on the same sort of piece of dirt, you know, that the modern Slavs, Slav Macedonians are on, but, um, uh, but that's like, you know, I'm in Australia right now, so the, that's like me claiming the rainbow snake as mine, you know, but it's not. I'm European, you know. It's like me, you know, appropriating the rainbow snake and, you know, me starting a footy club and calling myself, calling my footy club the rainbow snakes, you know. That sort of thing. Okay. So, thinking about this, um, the Hellenic world, for example, were joined, uh, were an identity, anyone who came from the Hellenic gods, you know, the Homeric tradition. Um, whoever looked back into their cultural history and saw Homer, the Odyssey, the Iliad, all that, Zeus, they are Hellenes, you know, the Hellenic people. That's the way I see it. You know, so this is in a time before. So that's, the, that's what joins the Greeks to this day. They look back and they see Zeus. Athena and all that so what joins Greeks you know and now there's an African a previously African basketballer who's extremely famous in America I don't know what his name is but he's extremely famous a great basketballer and he's Greek as Greek as Greek Greek can be you know so he looks back and he yeah he is culturally Greek He, he was born in Greece I think maybe his parents were immigrants into Greece and he is um he, you know, People ask him, uh, he's the opposite of Naz, his identity is wrapped up in Greece, and Greeks, all the Greeks I know, because I'm married to them, they, they reckon he's a fantastic guy, you know, nothing to do with skin colour at all, you know, um, they could care less what his skin colour is, a little bit like me, I'm accepted into the Greek community, and so is he, and him even more, he drapes himself in the Greek flag, so he goes into Greek nationality as well. All right, so that's him, so he's the opposite of Naz. But then Naz identifies on colour level, you know. Um, Blacks of the world unite against the white. That's Naz, you know. Um, And this other Greek guy, you know, if Naz met this um, Greek, you know, who is uh, black as black can be, this um, guy, I think he comes from Nigeria or something, his parents. Um, If Naz met him, they would have nothing to talk to, you know. Naz is not gonna get through to that guy, he says, no. I'm not going to listen to your rap songs. I'm Greek, you know. He's quite, quite firm on that. So, what joins people? Well, different people are joined by different things. You know, there are people that are joined by religion. There are people that are joined by nationality. Um, I think that um, that African Greek guy who's just a Greek guy. He doesn't call himself an African Greek. He's just Greek. Um, I think he is, you know, more into modern Greece. But you can't be into modern Greece unless you. Um, you dive into ancient Greece as well, you know, because it's all wrapped up in the culture. Okay, so what joins people? Well, your nationality. Now, nationality is a a modern construct um, that does have its purposes. Um, And I think leaders in the modern world, the world over, are They see the divisions along color lines. They see the divisions. Look, I might finish off with this point and leave everything else hanging, right? Let's imagine you're a world leader. Doesn't matter which sort. A few world leaders are ideological, you know. But um, most world leaders, I think, just want unity and no chaos, you know, and peace and prosperity for their country, you know. So, let's finish off on this point. World leaders. um, Just imagine Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, back in ancient Rome. And this is in the time when Rome flipped from being the ancient Greco-Roman paganism, which I think is superior to Christianity, when they flipped, when when that culture flipped to Christianity. Now, Christians like to believe that this is because Rome saw the light okay now I'm going to finish off on this point you know Jesus finally won the Romans over okay this is the way Christians like to see because everything's perspectives Christians Jesus won, you know converted the Romans okay. Now, I don't see it that way. The Romans were starting to fracture, you know, coming in the time of um, the Emperor Constantine, fracturing badly. And the leadership, desperate for unity, um, saw that Roman paganism was not working, was not binding the people anymore so they flipped Rome to Christianity in a desperate bid to find that unity and declared it to be the national uh, religion okay and it actually kind of worked it did work Rome sort of fell anyway but you know no it kept going in a way in the east and all that sort of stuff it kept going a lot better than it would have if they hadn't flipped it Okay, so did Jesus win Rome over? Or did the Emperor Constantine in particular, and people around him... Now, obviously, the bishops around him were ideological, and they were pushing for that. They were true believers. But I always, I always had this nagging suspicion that Constantine was being pragmatic, you know, and that he hired Jesus. So what joins people? Well, Constantine, I think, um, thought... We will employ Jesus, okay? Um, and this was in the times before what you would call nationalism. Okay, so that's a sort of unity. So the world leadership, whatever is, whatever the question is that GD is asking, what joins people? And she's asking that from a citizen's perspective, um, concerned. A, a leader of a, a land worries about that much more and often is happy To sacrifice his own ideology or her own ideology for unity, and I think I would do that too. You know, if I thought that um, pushing for atheism to be an Australian um, institution—atheism, not secularism, but atheism—and I thought, on balance, that that would bring unity, me as even if I was a uh, an ideological true believer, Catholic, Christian, I think I would choose atheism, okay? Because I want that unity. Okay, so I think the modern leader um, uh, reaches for national identity to try and get that to be above um, all the other identities, the tribal identities, you know? So, um, that's why we have you know flags are huge in the modern world. So the idea of a flag is to unite everyone around the flag, and that that is in, in a country like Australia that is supposed to be more important than um, your religious differences. Doesn't whatever your religious differences, Australians, you're all Australians under the Australian flag. That's the goal of you know especially. Um, conservative uh, prime ministers in Australia and also Labour ones too you know, so liberal liberal conservative prime ministers um, tend to say to people, listen you might have differences, you know, of colour, you might have differences of race you might have differences of religion you might have differences of football teams but the thing that should unite us is the flag Now, if people start burning the flag and all that sort of thing because of their tribal differences, you know, and all that sort of thing, and even if they think that the nation is not looking after their tribal differences and all that sort of stuff, um, if they start stepping and burning on the flag, burning the flag, well, leaders get very, very nervous, you know, not because they love the flag per se, but the, the elite leaders... Are smart enough to see this is dangerous because if we lose that unity, people will start to join together under subgroups. You know, like the religious. There'll be religious sort of battles in the streets. Um, the and the tribes will start battling. You know, and um, so the nation has to be stronger than all the tribal. Identities. The national identity has to be stronger than the tribal identity. So I think the answer to GD's, or a response to GD's question, what joins us, the best tool we have at our disposal, I think, in the world at the moment, is national identity that binds us, you know? Now, um, Naz would argue the thing that binds us is colour you know, blacks must unite and Naz is an enemy to the American flag on that level an enemy to the idea of America okay, as dreamed by the American you know, founding fathers so Naz is dangerous on that level, even though he is definitely preaching a a sort of unity alright, um So, what joins us? Well, I think uh, probably uh, we're we're going to fight, we humans. There's going to be fighting. But I think our best shot is national identity, is the one that seems to be best working in the modern world. Now, in the Middle Ages, religion worked best. You know, I think religion did work best. And there was a kind of changeover. You know, and this was when science, Europeans kind of invented, you know, modern Western science, you know, and technology, there was a switch and Friedrich Nietzsche, um, or however you pronounce it, he he noticed this, you know, and he said, in some ways, even though religion, you know, people have been saying that religion is um, to blame for all wars, it has been a strong binding force for a long time in the world. You know, since Roman times. Um, Before Roman, yeah, Rome itself was bound by the idea of Rome. Now, that was sophisticated, you know, bound by an idea that is Rome. Just the word Rome meant something. What did it mean? Well, that was up to you to, to decide. And the word Rome meant different things in different eras, but everyone kind of just knew what Rome meant. And it was stronger than religion. Yeah, there was a there was a period in Roman history, which I think is in the early Roman Empire. You know, in the early sort of hundred years of the Roman Empire, as distinct from the Roman Republic. Yeah, you know, after the Roman Republic fell, in the time of Augustus and Jesus, um, not that Jesus was relevant then. Um, retrospectively, he's become relevant. There was a time in Rome when the state was run along atheist lines, people people did not believe there was an afterlife, you know, and Rome operated like that, and in some ways that was very sublime. You know, the idea of, of believing in an idea of Rome and your own impermanence, that there's nothing for you after you die. Now, can you imagine that, fighting for an idea, being prepared to die for something, Knowing that when you get killed, as you run into battle, you, you're you running into battle for Rome with no hope of an afterlife. Now sometimes I feel that's the most sublime and sophisticated and noble and selfless kind of soldier that there could possibly be, yeah. um, and yet Roman slaves probably hate that guy. Right. Now, but, you know, think about that. Uh, Someone who marches into battle for God, his eyes are rolling back in his head as he gets a spear shoved into his guts because he knows he's going to the afterlife. You know what I mean? There is something more. But how sublime is it to be an atheist soldier? You know, I often think of that. I haven't got to the bottom of that, but that seems the most spiritually sublime to me Most spiritually sublime state is to die for for an idea when you're an atheist. You know, I find that deeply spiritual, but that's just me. All right, so what joins us? um, So, um, in the ancient times, you know, for example, we had Rome. Over in Ethiopia, which is GD, my little touchstone example, GD. is associated with Ethiopia. I think Ethiopia had tribes, and they associated with that. But then Ethiopia itself went to Christianity, and they started to identify with along Christian lines. They went to Christianity before Rome, which is interesting. But it's not because they were ahead of the game. You know, Rome, it was actually a a backward step for Rome in some ways, in my opinion, um, philosophically. Um, When Rome, you know, whoever went to Christianity uh, first, in my book, caved in first, they lost something, you know, now they gained something as well, but when you gain something, you lose something, so when Greece and Rome went to Christianity, they lost something wonderful, it was a backward step, you know, a, a step in the direction of more primitive, on some levels, you know, um, the, I, you know, I'm reading all the mythologies to my son all the time. You know, I'm, I'm getting very good at them. Um, but all the mythologies and the stories of Greece, you know, there are messages in there, and all the story. You know, and my GD and I have been getting into Plato's Cave, you know, and the Ring of Gyges. You know, I might be pronouncing that wrong. You know, um, and all that sort of stuff. There are no parallels for all these these um, messages for humanity. There are no parallels for this in the Bible. You know, the, the ancient Greece, um, the Bible pretty much focuses on um, humanity is bad, you know, because it ate an apple. You know, that sort of idea. But here's how you can be better. Right? But it doesn't go into detail in what way it's bad. The, the Greeks, so it says, avoid... Don't be the way you are be like Jesus instead you know what I mean but we don't want to even talk too much about the way you are just don't be that you know that's the message of the Bible now it is a very unifying force and it joins people because it's a pretty simple message that isn't it don't even think about who you really are there are that's dark there are dark corners to involved in who you are don't even think about that focus on Jesus and be like Jesus you know? Whereas the ancient Greeks, all the mythologies, the way I'm reading them, and the old philosophies and all that Socrates and, you know, Plato and all that sort of stuff and Aristotle, and all the great philosophers, you know, um, all the myths and the the, the Odyssey and the Oliad, (laughs) the Odyssey and the Iliad, um, all that stuff is saying, we are going to uh, show you the nature of humanity for better or for worse. We're not going to avoid it, and that's step one. You know, that's the way I see the Greeks. Um, We will lay bare the nature of humanity at its most evil and its most sublime and wonderful. You know, we will show you the true nature of humanity um, through our myths and legends and all that sort of stuff, and then you use that to be a better person and to build a better society. You know, that's another alternative. Now, when the Greeks and the Romans flipped. From one now, what happened is that that dream of showing humanity uh, being honest about humanity and then leaving it to the people to try and be better once they, they um, are aware of their true nature you know, to get to the true nature of humanity and then improve upon that it did break down it did break down it didn't it. There came a time when it wasn't working, and that was around about the time of Julius Caesar and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, And then other crises that came along, uh, famously the crisis of the third century um, and all that sort of thing. And Rome started to fracture and fall apart, so it didn't work. And Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul, um, Saul, Paul, the half-Roman, half-Jew, you know, uh, who was brought up, steeped in Greek uh, education, and um, I think um, his uh, his first language might have been Greek. Um, right, he observed that Rome was fracturing, and uh, people's lives were horrible, and, you know, he said, abandon that way, that is not joining you anymore. I I think the idea of Jesus is better, and he became a, a you know, the, one of the more influential than Jesus, in spreading Jesus, you know, and and he said that's not working for you, so go to this instead, you know, this thing we got from Semitic lands and um, this idea of one God, and that might join you better. So he was kind of an early Constantine in a way, but Constantine on a more political level sort of thought along those lines too later, and said. What join? What we think we need to join you is Christianity because our ancient Greco-Roman belief systems are not joining us anymore. It, it is about that, you know, joining. I think GD is on the right subject. Now, um, and then, you know, for reasons described in previous episodes, ad nauseum, NAS believes that what should join um, African-Americans and Africans in general... Um, and even, by extension, anyone with dark skin or black skin, even Indigenous strays, what should join them is their skin colour. And if we could all unite, he said, we can overthrow the white, you know, because that's the enemy. Okay, so then we have two huge tribes in the world, uh, essentially, which is white people and black people, you know. And then uh, I'm sure he's got some... I haven't actually heard NASA's opinions on Chinese and all that sort of stuff. Um... I don't know if they're, in his world, they're white or they might be a separate category altogether, you know, um, you know, we, we tried to separate the Chinese into a separate category ourselves, um, you know, and this will be, um, explained in the, um, character of Biggles, who's kind of a, a he's li- he's more like Naz than he'd like to admit, and Naz is more like Biggles than Naz would like to admit, but they're both lining themselves up along colour lines, you know, and... Biggles would have seen Chinese people as yellow, you know, as a category. I mean, honestly, I look at them and they're kind of whitish, brownish most of the time. Um, and Japanese are white, as far as I can tell. But there's some there's some brown Japanese as well. There's an indigenous Japanese mob too. Um, I think they got smashed as well. All right. Um, yeah, so, you know. Um, there's Yeah. Naz. So you have got we've got political leaders tend to try and find unity via some sort of idea, all right? Idea. The idea of Rome or the idea of Australia, you know? And political leaders say, we, we start off with an idea of Australia and we can adapt and alter that idea, but it moves on, you know? Um, and, you know, you get the drift, you know? I talked a lot longer there than I expected to, but I always do. And what I did in all of that... I was asked a simple question by GD, and true to form, I was asked a simple question, which could have been a simple response about, sort of, I could have sent her back a meme that I invented. Um, if, I was a, if I was a Facebooker, a social media kind of guy, I probably would have just come back with some simple one-liner, but instead, I do not like simple. I like to take a simple question and make it messy. And I hope I've achieved that with this episode, which I think has gone for about an hour and a half more, or more, at a guess. Um, but I hope I've achieved my goal of taking something simple and making it impossibly messy. Because I think that's that sort of mess is where I relax. Um, if people come up with simple um, responses, and when people come up with simple answers to complex questions, that makes me anxious. But if I can bring that back to a complete mess, I start to relax again. I relax the messier it gets. I like that. That could be a slogan for, for me. Um, I'm looking for the stop button here, and here it is. <music>